you're invited to explore cypress swamps and magical gardens and float along the rushing waters of an old-fashioned swimming hole. Plan your journey at visitmississippi.org slash outdooradventure. Mississippi, wanderers welcome. is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You worked for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back to another edition of This is America. I am Rich Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, right here 17 floors above Madison Square Garden here in New York City. Liberty is one of those things that I've told you on this show that's making a comeback. I've told you that there's a godless society, a society that's ripe for cultural Marxism, and that not a single shot was fired on the four major battlefields. And the battlefields I'm talking about are all intellectual. Every single classroom from pre-K to the college campus, the media, newsrooms all across America, we've seen Marxists infiltrate them, spewing lie after propagandistic lie on TV, in the newspapers, every level of government, literally from like town hall to the halls of Congress. And of course, the family unit. The attack on the family structure has been unrelenting in my lifetime. I want to ask you, what is the virtue that we always talk of, that the founders spoke of, this virtue? What is the value or the purpose of virtue in our society? Where is it that we learn our values from? Well, I think many of us learn that stuff from our parents. And I'm going to make a quick aside. The other day, I was getting a cafe con leche, right? I like to drink uh, Spanish coffee, and there's a spot not too far from my house that I go to, and I get it. And I was grabbing a uh, diet soda from the refrigerator, and a girl comes up to me, and she says, very excitedly, by the way, and she says, wow, you have a great white voice. And I said, a great white voice? Hmm, that's interesting. And I said, well, thanks. And she's like, what do you do? And I said, well, you know, I work in the radio. And she said, uh, the radio business, I should say. And she said, wow, I don't know how you turn it off and on like that. And I said, well, I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> but I guess when I'm joking around with my buddies, I can, you know, get into different types of uh, character. And the, the point that I think she was making was that, you know, you can clean up your diction and speak a little bit more appropriately as if you were broadcasting so that people can understand every word you're saying. And she was trying to compliment me on that. But I, I took it as a compliment. But what I didn't, what I should say, I, I, it wasn't a, a slight or anything like that, but it made me realize where does that even come from? Right. A, and I didn't follow this up with her. I didn't, you know, get into a whole conversation about this. But I did a podcast on this once where we talked about why people consider white to be a privilege and why I think it's not necessarily a privilege. It's more historical. It's legacy. And that was the point I was making in the podcast and really what kind of came to mind with her. For example, I believe that my dad, Juan Valdez, he was known to a lot of his friends as John because they couldn't say Juan. You know, some people would say Juan, like Juan Tansu, and he was cool with it. You know, they, if they couldn't, he didn't push the issue and say, it's, it's Juan, you got to say Juan. He, he didn't get into that. Now today, you know, I'm a, a man, I'm not a little kid anymore, 
And lots of people know how to say Juan. There's a guy on TV, you know, Juan Williams. So, I mean, it's way more popularized than it was back when I was a kid. And a lot of people in Brooklyn just, it wasn't their thing. And I think that's something that he encountered most of his life and felt it to be, you know, he was never going to impose his will on other people. And named all of the boys the anglicized version of our name. For example, firstborn male, John, not Juan. My grandpa, Alberto. Next boy, Albert. Robert. Richard. Even Joe and Louis. So you look at those and those different stories on those. But my point was, it wasn't Jose and Luis and Ricardo and Roberto. And it was because my dad felt, when in Rome you do as the Romans do. Born Americans on Puerto Rico, but decided we are going to do what we feel is right to assimilate. This isn't Puerto Rico anymore. Now we're in the Bronx or we're in Brooklyn. So I bring that up to say that was always how it went, but that's not always the case anymore. And this isn't a soliloquy on immigration or anything like that, or even on assimilation. To me, the point was, she said, I had a great white voice. And <laughs> I thought to myself, why do we equate proper speech with white. And it's a conversation I had with a buddy of mine who called me one day and he was like, you know, I was at the barbershop and somebody told him critically, because he's in a customer facing role in the company he's in. They said, bro, you sound white. And I mean, the guy is very fair skinned. He's from Chile. But the point they were making was that he sounded like a, like a wasp. And they were trying to use it as a detriment. So I thought to myself, this literally sounds like an article that I read on Marxist.org where they created a situation where people with heritage, people that are part of a certain legacy, people that have history, whether it be the Puritans or the Dutch or whoever else came, early settlers, to what is now today the United States, they came with a history. And they were all white people. This is a country that was made by white people. So it comes as no surprise to me that the people that started the first college were white people. People that started the first churches were white people. Now, of course, somebody, you know, one of the 1619 crowd, they'll come to me and they'll say, oh, but what about the Native American and the indigenous? What about them? Welcome to the party. No issue. My point is the people that built the foundation of this country, you look at the, the photos from and the paintings and the renderings, from the Constitutional Convention. And it wasn't black and brown. This is a country that was founded by white European settlers. Got it. So it comes as no surprise, like I said, that those that went through the educational system in this country first, those that were here first, white people. So it's all about legacy. It's not about privilege. You know, it may be a privilege to have what they call old money or uh, parents what we know now when you look at statistics, I sat on the board of a charter school for close to a decade. And one of the key indicators that we derived from data that was collected over the years was that if your parents went to college, you were more successful in school. And if your parents went to college, you were also more apt to graduating and finishing your own college degree. So what happens? Is it a privilege or is it just history? 
the fact that your grandfather worked hard, saved money, bought a house, saved up the money, sold the house, bought a bigger house, built some wealth, and passed it along, and passed it along, and passed it along. I don't think that it may be viewed as a privilege for your family, but it has nothing to do with your race. And that's why you see people coming into this country from other parts of the world, immigrants, and they come and they make the best of the situation here. Because sometimes when you're in Rome, you just have to do as the Romans do. So that's one of the points that I wanted to get to tonight. I also wanted to talk about how cultural Marxism and and Marxism, just generally speaking, is truly infiltrating so many layers of our culture, of our government, of our educational institutions. And that that's just like a symptom. But now we can see what happens when those symptoms go untreated. It becomes a very difficult situation to manage. Kind of like the situation that we're in, where we're having issues with courts doing what they have to do, with federal law enforcement doing what they have to do. We have issues actually identifying what is truth. That's a problem. In the philosophy world, they call that relativism. And this relativism is a big deal, this idealism, I should say. It's, it's crushing what was once known as truth. So I opened with saying that we're under attack by three countries. And that's just right now with cyber hacks and whatnot. Iran, Russia, China. But the overall, we're under attack by an ideology, an idea that rejects God, where God is improvident, where you're not looking to a higher power for your next meal and thanking the Almighty for your providence or for their providence, for your provision. But people are actually kneeling at the altar of big government. That's a big problem. But I'm not done yet, so keep it locked right there. You're listening to This Is America. I'm Rich Valdez. Find your next truck at Woodhouse Buick GMC. No matter where you're heading or what tasks need tackling, there's a premium and capable GMC truck that's perfect for you. Make a statement on the job site, out in the town, or wherever life leads you in the powerful and distinctive Sierra 1500. Or elevate your driving experience in the adventurous and innovative canyon. Explore our inventory online at WoodhouseBuickGMC.com or visit our indoor showroom today. Woodhouse Buick GMC, we are professional grade. This is America. All right, America, welcome back. This is Rich Valdez. We are still here, 17 floors above Madison Square Garden in New York City. I wanted to get to a story. The story is I went out for lunch. Right? I'm at an undisclosed bunker in New York, and I went out for lunch, and the place I was going to was a Spanish restaurant. It wasn't open. So I found a, a familiar restaurant that I'd seen in Manhattan, and I said, oh, wow, I know that spot. They got one in the city right by Madison Square Garden where we used to broadcast 17 floors above Madison Square Garden. And I saw it. So I went in, Italian place, uh, Familia with a G, and Tony and his nephew and the rest of the guys, great guys, big shout out to them. They uh, Great meatballs. And it was great because we were having a conversation and they were familiar with the work that we do here in the radio station and across America, obviously, on these airwaves. 
and they were supporters and listeners. So I just wanted to say hello to them and thank them for great lunch. It was really good. And uh, I got a salad for Mr. Producer and I haven't gotten the feedback yet. I don't know if he's eating it or not. So we're going to have to hold his feet to the fire, but the meatballs were great. And the reason I bring up small business is not, you know, to say hi to my new friends at the Familia restaurant, but it was because small businesses are taking a really hard hit, a really, really hard hit. And this is problematic because if we go back to what I said about Reagan, Reagan says, best anti-poverty programs a job. Yet those of us, like this family, that makes their own job by opening their own business, what are they going to do? I mean, thank God they're open. And, you know, it's super busy in White Plains today. But if you're not able to open, how do you make money? If your capacity is diminished, how do you make money? And these are the things that New Yorkers are facing all over the place. So I want to get into that in a little bit, specifically New York and the draconian things happening here. But now at the national level, we have President Trump really stepping up for America, right? He really, uh, in my opinion, and he always has. I mean, this is part of the example I think that Trump sets for Americans everywhere, which is do it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Do it. I've oftentimes given credit to President Trump because he's left his skyscraper penthouse on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, New York City. And it's literally like a golden building, Trump Tower. And he left that and grabbed his supermodel wife and said, you know what, we're going to go to the swamp with his kid in tow and his other kids because honestly, the whole family, it's a family fair. Even though they have to run the business, your whole family gets dragged into that lifestyle as we've seen with the malicious prosecutions from people in New York and the Southern District and the New York Attorney General, even the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. So you look at all that and you say, man, why? Why would anybody do it? And the reason he did it in the most simplistic way I can think of is when people, you know, like when you were a kid, schoolyard bully, whatever it was, and they're like, oh, your mother. You know, when you're a kid, you don't think too much. And you think, all right, my mother... Well, listen, I don't care how big you are, but that's one of those things you don't come back from. And you just start swinging, right? And you're like, you, what'd you say about my mama? And you go at it. And I think that's Trump. He's like, you know what? We're taking this fight. We're taking this fight. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how bad you are. I don't know how great you are breaking rules, creating rules that you know exactly how to bend. No, I'm, I'm going to stick up for what I know is right. And I give him tremendous credit for that. And yesterday was obviously one of the many times he's done that, but he articulated it so well where he put this COVID-19 quote-unquote relief bill on blast. And he told the Democrats, and, and summarily he also said it to the Republicans that were all willing to vote for this, that the bill was a disgrace. And I think he's 100% right. And I want you to listen to President Trump Last night, cut one. Check this out. Throughout the summer, Democrats cruelly blocked COVID relief legislation in an effort to advance their extreme left-wing agenda and influence the election. Then, a few months ago, Congress started negotiations on a new package to get urgently needed help to the American people. It's taken forever. However, the bill they are now planning to send back to my desk is much different 
than anticipated. It really is a disgrace. For example, among the more than 5,000 pages in this bill, which nobody in Congress has read because of its length and complexity, it's called the COVID relief bill, but it has almost nothing to do with COVID. This bill contains $85.5 million for assistance to Cambodia, $134 million to Burma, $1.3 billion for Egypt and the Egyptian military, which will go out and buy almost exclusively Russian military equipment. So listen, I don't know how many of you vacation or summer in Cambodia. I know I never have. But, you know, I'm just a kid from Brooklyn that lives out in Jersey now. If you're one of those people that summers in Cambodia, then maybe, you know, you're, you're all for this. But me, I look at this and I go, what? Pero que pasa? What's going on here? How is it that we're bringing all this money to Cambodia? And I think the president's spot on. And this is what I think, in my opinion, was masterful, where he just says, you know what? I'm going to call these guys out because, hey, what do I got to lose? I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to stand up for the American people. It's what he knows how to do. He fights. That's what he does. And, and that's what you get. Really, it's what I love about him, that he fights. He doesn't take the pomp and circumstance and value it any more than, than it ought to be valued. He says, ah, whatever. Pomp and circumstance. You can keep your pomp and circumstance. It's great for what it's, for what it's worth. Like when they said, Will you be able to be very presidential, sir? And he said, I'll be the most presidential president you've ever seen. I can be very presidential. And, and it was funny because he's ridiculing them. He's basically saying, who the hell cares? Who cares about being presidential? What really matters here is getting things done. The American people. And that's what El Trompito, that's what I like to call him. El Trompito, Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States. El Presidente, Donaldus Magnus. That is... What he does, he gets stuff done. I want you to listen to him saying that 600 bucks is not nearly enough money for small businesses. Check this out. Despite all of this wasteful spending and much more, the $900 billion package provides hardworking taxpayers with only $600 each in relief payments. And not enough money is given to small businesses and in particular restaurants whose owners have suffered so grievously they were only given a deduction for others to use in business their restaurant for two years. This two-year period must be withdrawn, which will allow the owners to obtain financing and get their restaurants back in condition. Congress can terminate it at a much later date, but two years is not acceptable. It's not enough. I agree with him 100%. I have friends that have lost their shirts with businesses in New York City, restaurant businesses that are just not available anymore. One of my radio colleagues earlier today, Sid Rosenberg, I heard him uh, talking about how he pays all this money to live in Manhattan on the Upper West Side. And he's like, what do I do that for? Why would I pay all this money to live in Manhattan? I do it because there's this restaurant that I like and that restaurant that I like and I can go to this and I can do that. Everything's right here. All the best of everything right here, New York City, it's right here. And he said, now nothing's right here. I'm still paying that huge rent to live here for what? And I think he's got a point. People are losing their shirts. People are losing their livelihoods. Some kids can go to school. Some kids can't. 
Many kids don't assimilate well to this online learning thing. And I don't want to beat up everybody on this COVID-19 stuff because, I mean, it just it seems to always circle back no matter what you complain about. Right. You get on the radio, you start your rant and it always comes back to COVID one way or another because it's just been so uh, poorly handled, in my opinion, by the states, at least the states that I'm in, Jersey and New York. But bottom line here is small business owners are, are getting beat up on this. And ultimately, the small business owner is he who employs most people in America or she who employs most people in America. Most people don't work for a Fortune 10 company. Most people work for a mom and pop or a mid-size or small, medium, or even large-sized business. That's not a huge big box retailer or a Fortune 10 company, not Amazon, not Walmart. And we are drowning that out and crushing people and we are destroying the free market. And it's becoming eerily reminiscent when the government starts bringing money in and we're trying to bail this out and do that and do that. It really reminds me of how China's economy kind of grew and flourished, where they take 51% of whatever they feel like taking. And they run industry. And they run you. And the president just went out there and he did what he does. And this is why, again, and I am going to toot his horn just a little bit because I think this is what we need people to do to to take a stand in politics. To say, hey, you know what? This is my opinion. I truly do feel this way. This is what I'm going to do. And he's not, you know, he could totally stay home and be a lame duck president and just say, hey, you know, figure it out. Biden, you know, if you guys think Biden won, great. If I don't get this challenge uh, on January 6th, if that doesn't fly right, do it with him. And in effect, that's what he said. But he said it so much better because, you know, he said, I might be the one that you have to deal with. So I think it's terrific uh, that he uses veto pen on a separate issue on the defense bill because of the pork that was in it and the way that they've done it. And I think it really draws attention to what's happening in Washington, what's happening in Congress specifically, and what's happening in the governance of our country at the federal level, where people, more and more people are waking up, realizing, you know what? I really am going through a difficult time right now because of X, Y, and Z, something coronavirus related, whether it's your business being crushed by coronavirus, customers not being able to do what they have to do. Everybody's got something to do. The coronavirus is screwing people left and right, in particular small businesses. To me, it seems like such an effective way for the opposition, the oppressor, to stifle speech or even congregation, right? You have the Minutemen back in the days that congregated at restaurants and, and, you know, local watering holes and whatever, wherever people met, church. And guess, those are the places they don't want you to go. You can't go to bars. You can't go to church. Church, oh, the singing spreads COVID. What about the supermarket? No, 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 that's fine. You know, what about, it, it's, it's just bizarre. And to me, it's because there is strength in unity and they're not allowing unity. But before I go into that, I want you to hear what Trump said. Because like I told you before, I'll sit here and talk all night. Trump said that this bill needs to be amended because people need at least a couple of grand to pay their bills, not 600 bucks. Listen to this. Congress found plenty of money for foreign countries, lobbyists, and special interests while sending the bare minimum to the American people who need it. It wasn't their fault. It was China's fault, not their fault. I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to 
to $2,000 or $4,000 for a couple. I'm also asking Congress to immediately get rid of the wasteful and unnecessary items from this legislation and to send me a suitable bill or else the next administration will have to deliver a COVID relief package and maybe that administration will be me and we will get it done. Bravo, Mr. President. That's the type of in-your-faceness the word I just made up, I think. That type of in-your-faceness and stick to is exactly what we need in the White House. And I can't believe that America is not up in arms the way so many, lots of Americans are up in arms. And we're, like I said, we're going to get back to the election. But this is what we need. This is exactly what we need to fight the pork barrel spending, the, the government first crowd, or as Mark uh, has coined the hate America first crowd, which is really the most dangerous type, right? Because those are the ones that are looking to usurp the republic entirely. Like whatever, whatever good and whatever power America had, they want to take it and ruin it. But and this is how they do it: they want they want to strangle you, not physically, obviously, literally, bleed you dry, so you have no choice but to come with your hand out. And that's not the right way to do business. It really isn't. Big corporations, when you meet somebody that works in one of these big corporations, most of them tell you, most will tell you, oh no, they're really good. I get three weeks vacation. I get this, I get that. Oh no, when I had my kid, they let me do this and they let me do that. Why? Big companies, A, they've made enough money to be able to to handle that. But B, they figured out that the only way you stay in business and you make money is with good people. Good people are hard to come by. So you want to take care of your people. And that's something I think Trump understands. I went to a party at Trump Tower once and I spoke with some of the, you know, the coat check person, the, the wait staff. Uh, many of them black and brown, by the way, and white. And they shared such positive stuff about the Trump organization. And they were very pleasant people, very well-trained, really, really very affable people. They liked their job because it's about taking care of people. And I think Trump gets that and he brings that to his work in the White House. Like I always say, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And the only thing that's necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. So take that to heart. Be safe. Take care of your families. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at a $1,000 savings plan deposit for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register.